listening to Auto D coming at you live. Which way, what, when, how? Mr. Idol D, flip the track right now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Auto D Show here on Star Worldwide Networks this near frigid Monday evening in Scottsdale, Arizona, where it's only about 62 degrees outside. A temperature, by the way, that gives the good people of Arizona reason enough to break out our coolest winter coats, if only for the evening. And speaking of cool weather i have a cool show and uh for you i've got a very cool guest that's right a singer songwriter named adam smith will be joining us right after this song by one of his favorite artists anomaly brennan called ditch lilies
listening to Auto D coming at you live. And that was Ditch Lilies by Nomaly Brennett here on the Auto D Show, where I am your host, Otto Daniolo. Although it may not sound like it because I've had a cold this week and my voice isn't exactly back, but uh, deal with it. And my guest this evening is singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist Adam Smith. Welcome to the show, Adam. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me, Otto. I'm doing fabulous. I've got my sip coffee here. Perfect. And I'm enjoying a good buzz. <laughs> well, good. I haven't uh, seen you in a long time, so it's a real pleasure to have you in. I'm looking forward to our little conversation and some of the stuff that's going to come from it. Absolutely. It's yeah. starting with that. You had mentioned to me that you were a fan of Anomalies, and uh, that's a record that I did with her. So I was wondering, how long have you been a fan of hers? I'm a huge fan of Anomalies. Um, Gosh, it's been maybe four years now. Is that is that right? About four years. Um, and uh, we we connected through a mutual friend of mine. I mean, there's a lot of stories behind it, but a mutual friend of mine that uh, used to live in Fort Lauderdale. His name was Richard Cortez. He's a really good um, singer songwriter as well, mm-hmm. and. He sent me a Facebook message, and he's like, I got to tell you about this singer-songwriter named Nomaly Brennett. You guys need to connect. And so I did. Yeah. So I did, and um, I I checked out her music, and she asked me to come and open for her at uh, a CD release party that she she was, uh, a a concert that she was having in Tucson. Mm -hmm. And... I was so thrilled, and we sat in the vicar's office of this church, and we rehearsed a song together, and we ended up doing it just acoustic without microphones at the end of the show, and I came, and I did like three or four songs mm-hmm. before she came up and played, and there were, cool. it was very ethereal, and there were these candles and tapestries, and it was in this church, I think it was like a Presbyterian church. And it was just really beautiful, and I was just totally mesmerized by her. And I, I think, I think I make her a little nervous because I like fangirl over her because I'm so I'm such a huge fan right. and I just admire and respect her so much and was so thrilled and delighted that she asked me to come and play. And anytime she's in town, I love to go and watch her perform. And she's actually going to be performing at our yeah. listening room on, right. in February. So. Not to jump across too many topics all at yeah, once, but she yeah. is coming to town, so I wanted yes. to ask you about that. Are you going to be in town? Because I know you're going to go on tour, which we'll be talking about I as well. I won't be here, I don't think, for, mm. for her performance, which oh, I'm really, really bad. sad about. Because she's just doing one day, and then she's gone? Yeah, so I'll have to catch up with her in Oregon okay. or somewhere. Yeah. You know, hopefully we'll line up, because she's on the road, I'm on the road, so yeah. maybe maybe we can sync up somewhere, hopefully. Cool. Well, that's interesting to know, and I'm yeah. glad to know you guys are still connected. Yeah. And um, I'll do my best to see that show for you, and I'll give you a full report. Yes, give Give me a, a good review. Get Absolutely. A, yeah, and a good review of our listening room, too. Absolutely. And, you know, you've mentioned that uh, our listening room a couple of times. Tell me a little bit about uh, what the listening room is. This is a new venue here in Phoenix, correct? Correct. Yeah, we just opened in November. Mm-hmm. And we had the singer-songwriter from Woodstock, Melanie, mm-hmm. Melanie Sofka, come mm-hmm. and do our first concert, our grand launch. And uh, we are the only venue of its kind in Phoenix, which is uh, pure listening. uh, And we focus mostly on acoustic singer-songwriters, but we're also open Mm -hmm. to other stuff. But we focus just on music. And uh, it's also a state-of-the-art video recording 
studio. So each artist who comes to perform, they can, if they would like, to walk away with some high-quality, nicely done mm-hmm. footage of them performing and not have to deal with squeaky bathroom doors and right. chatty customers so it's really and people taking for the orders. Experience. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's a BYOB kind of a thing. And, okay. You know, so there's nobody you, taking orders. Right, exactly. That's kind of Except nice. for CDs. <laughs> After the show, probably. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. So um, I imagine you're going to be playing there. Mm-hmm. So why don't you drop that date on me if you have it on the top of January your January 27th. Coming right up. Myself and Melody Guy are going to be performing, and she and I are going on tour. And so we're going to be launching our tour that night. So it'll be like a little Bon Voyage, cool. like a little... Uh, How can people get tickets to that show? What's the, is there a website address for the, the listening room? Phoenix.com and also on Facebook, they can find us by typing in the listening room Phoenix. And uh, there are uh, lots of other listening rooms around the country and around mm-hmm. the world. So if you type in listening room Phoenix, and you'll find us. All right. And, and just you can to look further at our calendar and uh, find out how to get tickets and all that good okay. stuff. Okay. And to further describe kind of the experience, would you, would you say it's an 800-seat theater, a 200-seat theater? Or? Well, we could do like 50 to 70, depending on, okay. you know. Very cool. The need. Very yeah, cool. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, now, um, you know, we jumped along. I'd like to go back a little bit. Um, I often start with kind of where my guest is originally from. Where were you born? I was born in Big Stone Gap, Virginia, but Big, Ray... Big Stone Gap? Big Stone Gap, Virginia. Virginia. Okay, I haven't heard of Big Stone Gap. You might be the only guy I know from Big Stone Gap. Well, good. I'm doing good. And well, I, was ra- I was raised in the hills of Kentucky. The, the ah, so you weren't s- raised in Big Stone Gap. You were no, just born No, I was just born in the hospital there, and then I the border okay. and to Kentucky and I was raised in the the southeast Appalachian Mountains of Kentucky which is one of the most beautiful sacred gorgeous places in the I world. I spent about seven years in the southeast corner <coughs> of Ohio kind of and okay. kind of not quite into the Appalachian you know hills mm-hmm. mountains but still quarter mile off the road and mm-hmm. it was real similar you yeah. know uh, they used to call it southern Ohio. Southern Ohio yeah <laughs> Yep. So I'm kind of familiar with the area. So how long, how old were you, uh, or I should say, how long were you there? Long time. I tried to escape for many, many years and finally succeeded. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, up until my early 20s, I lived there. And Mm -hmm. I I don't go back often, but I I love to go back. You still have family there, then? I do, yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of family, are you uh, one of... A dozen kids, one of three in the family. I mean, tell me a little bit about what that that experience was like. I'm one of three. I was the middle child. Okay. And uh, I was also the only one of my kind in my family. So there, that brought that brought up a the lot only of conflict. Alien, the only alien baby. The unicorn. They, <laughs> I, I got say. nicknamed the unicorn by some of my friends, <laughs> and but proudly so. Right. And that that's a that, that I've been called worse things than unicorn, I guess, but um. Yeah, it, that brought up some conflict, and, uh, you know, I wasn't like my brothers. Both my brothers ended up in the military, and, you know, my dad was, uh, you know, hunting, fishing, and I turned mm-hmm. out to be a vegan. <laughs> so I, could, I turned some. out to be, yeah, I could be more opposite from my uh, family, you yeah. know, than, uh, than I am. Vegan know. artist. Yeah. Well, how it sounds to me like uh, there's a p- possibility here that nobody in the family was a musician besides you. Did your mom have a little something? Well, my going mom, on she sang to me, and okay. she she had a, a real sweet, gentle 
voice and spirit and I think she always secretly wanted to be a singer I think she shared that with me actually mm-hmm. at one point and um, you know I had an aunt my aunt Shirley which my no, my mom's name was Shirley and my aunt's name was Shirley which was kind of weird oh but, it's common in Kentucky yeah in Kentucky yeah to- and I, just, I was watching totally. football this weekend and there was a guy on one of the teams playing in the playoffs who said his name was Tommy, and his brother was Tommy, and his dad was Tommy. Mm-hmm. And when he asked his dad, why'd your name was Tom? You're my kid. That's your name. <laughs> so every, every boy was named Tom, but they all went by nicknames or middle names, you know. Right. It's, it's just family. Tommy Joe, Tommy Bob, Family's Tommy Bill. family, man. They all got their own <laughs> rules. You know, yeah. everybody's got their reasons, I guess. But it was, it was my Aunt Shirley that I really connected to, and she was creative, and she uh, shared a passion for flowers and mm-hmm. drawing and she would sing things to me and mm-hmm. she had a 60s organ at her house that I would always go and play that I eventually inherited that I taught myself really how to play the keys and you know what uh, what kind of organ was it I, I mean was I, it like a sat up against the wall with, with its own pedals type of an organ or was I, it a little yeah I don't remember like exactly I think it was it might have been a Yamaha or something like that but it was one of those kinds with the volume pedal and then it had the pedals that you could play the bass on that okay. had like the black so it was a real keys. organ yeah and it had like the 60s like the marim the the the, the, the rumba and like the mm-hmm. you know the beats like, there were so you know, many kind of toy that instruments stuff. that came out then because yeah. it was inexpensive I remember I grew yeah. up we had a little organ in the basement, mm-hmm. but it was a little plastic thing about three feet long, and you'd yeah. sit it on your lap or on the table or on the floor, and you'd turn it on, and air would suck through it like a fan. Kind of like a harmonium. Maybe, you know. Kinda, yeah. And then it had the, the first <clears throat> eight or seven or eight keys were chords, mm-hmm. and then the rest was melody, so you could mm-hmm. hold a chord for you, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of. So when you, say, when you say an organ from the 60s, it's like, okay, well, I need to get a clarification. Yeah. But that's a real instrument. So you were yeah. young. How old were you playing on that? I was a young teenager, pre- Probably 12, 13. Just learning songs. Yeah, that and I would teach myself, like, uh, the Jackson 5, I'll Be There, song by Mariah Curie, right. MTV Unplugged at the time. And uh, right. Enya, I, I would learn Enya's song, teach myself, you know, and she, through Enya is really how I, her, her songs are really how I learned how to play two hands mm-hmm. and, you know, compose and get into, like, that very Irish kind of intuitive sense mm-hmm. of melody, beautiful, you know. So that kind of stuff. And then I would make up my own stuff and play around with the, the weird sounds. And so I was actually a techno and ambient composer before I was a singer-songwriter acoustic. I've got, I was very much into, like, Aphex Twin and mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, in my later teens, I got into, like, Aphex Twin and Square Pusher and uh, all these Bjork and, right. you know, stuff like that, you know. Do you think that's had a lasting impact in your songwriting? It had. Well, it's had more of an influence on my producing because okay. I'm self-produced than, than anything. But um, that, that, you know, that's really my roots of when I started to play around with sound. I was always experimenting with sound and capturing sounds. I would go around the apartment buildings where I lived, and I'd bang on the staircases and on the railings and on the playground I would you know record it into my $30 tape recorder and Mm -hmm. then I'd take that and put it into my laptop and do effects and layer things and uh, I would sometimes I'd have like two karaoke machines that I would you know and I'd layer things Mm -hmm. you know 
that way. And so I've always been really curious about sound and technology and layering things and ways to fill up my imagination with that. You know, you referred in your bio to uh, sound magic. Is that really what you're kind of describing? Yeah, it is still magic to me. It's magic how and especially as a kid and I go back to that as a young child you know I you don't know about all the hammers and wires and mechanics of a piano all you know is when you touch the key this magical vibration Mm -hmm. comes out of it from Mm -hmm. where where does it come from it comes from nowhere it's magic and it still feels that way to Mm -hmm. me and of course now I know how it works but I still like to keep that sense of magic and sense of wonder. And that really, I try to weave that through everything I do, you know. Cool. There's another uh, phrase that you mentioned in your bio I wanted to ask you about. And that is you mentioned that at an early age, about seven years old, you began to see sound shapes. Now, mm-hmm. when you reference it in the, in the bio, you reference seeing sound shapes in the, key, in the black and white keys of the piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wondered what you, what you meant. I have a painter friend, Sam Pratt, who's actually been on the show who sees, always sees sound more than hears sound and is inspired by the sights that right. sound creates. So I wondered, what, what did you mean when you said sound shapes? Well, there actually is a thing called synesthesia. Have you ever heard of it? It's where you, uh, you associate... Notice I just shook my head <laughs> so no one would really know the answer. Yeah, well, um, and and I'll kind of paraphrase it, but you can you can Google it to, to you know find out the real educated official definition of it. But synesthesia is, it's actually like a neurological thing where people see see sounds as mm-hmm. colors, mm-hmm. like actually Laura Nero. Mm-hmm. It, it, is talked about she would tell her musicians that she worked with uh, you know can you make this more purple right and people would be like this chick is crazy man right. you know and, i have a relative who, who sees color Pe- yeah people are colors she and says they, that somebody is orange or someone is yellow yeah and i'm like and, what are you talking about and you know they associate it with days of the week and stuff mm-hmm. and it's a mm-hmm. it's a very unique it's i guess it's kind of like a disorder but to me it's not like a bad thing but for me, I, I got to read up on it. Yeah, for me, I see shapes. So I see codes. I see what chords look like, mm-hmm. and um, it's almost like um, you can just see the architecture of it in your mind. And like when you look at your hands, um, you'll see your, you know, your hands are making like a triangle, or these this chord is a rectangle, or this. And so it's kind of like these dancing platonic shapes mm-hmm. when I'm mm-hmm. making sounds. And uh, like I have this, uh, I have a song that's, it's my, no one's heard it unless they've heard me live lately, but I have a song called uh, Return of the Black Widow. And there's a, you know, like my hand actually looks like a spider, like, mm-hmm. you know, on the, and it's, it's to me, visual and and art go hand in hand and um they're not separate and i'm always exploring ways with my art and my live show to try and incorporate them both you Mm -hmm. know so do you uh, find that you write more on piano or guitar these days Mm. because i think of you as a guitar player more myself just in my experience of what i've heard and but do you Um, write on piano more or just play piano a bit it's it's pretty equal. It's um I'm all I always like to be near a keyboard or a guitar, 
and it's it's really organic. I guess I'm thinking in terms of these images. Yeah. Because on guitar, I wouldn't think you'd get some of those same some of that same visual feedback as you're creating. Right. Well, with the guitar, it's faced away from you, but the shapes are still there, kind of Mm -hmm. in your mind. Because you know, I always notice. You know, like when you see. Have you ever watched uh, Nancy Wilson or? Yeah, Nancy Wilson from Heart mm-hmm. play oh, yeah. the guitar. Yeah. Some of her finger positions are like, is she like Gumby or something? Like, how can she? But you see these shapes right. that she makes with her. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's almost like sign language or something. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just the way I go about it. You know, everybody goes about it differently and everybody understands sound is a language music is a language mm-hmm. and everybody has uh, you know and and I think everybody should develop and cultivate their own relationship with it I have my own little world right. that I see and interpret things and well, it seems pull things to me out of you that, know um, it's, it's, I mean, it sounds to me like then you've probably also been creating music from about the time you started playing music you weren't just learning other songs but you were recognizing that in a sense with your hands and with images that you'd start to play with that yourself so have you always been kind of creating music as well? Always. Well, ever since I, you know, c- came into the world, like um, to the sound of the swing set, like I would sit on the swing set as a child and I would hear the sound and uh, I would make up a song to the rhythm, of, you know, <laughs> and I would mimic the birds and I would sing to the flowers and the wind and the trees. And I would always go away in nature, you know, and... It was like I lived in my own musical or something, and it was always a very personal, private experience, and I still carry that feeling, very pure feeling with me. Even when I grew up uh, and started developing a taste in music as a you know, late teens, early 20s, I was still living in the mountains and very sheltered, so I wasn't a part of any musical scene. I wasn't Mm -hmm. around other singer-songwriters that I was taking things from. I was kind of discovering things on my own Mm -hmm. and uh, pulling in the sound of the land uh, and, and and like, my genetic ancestry, Mm -hmm. you know, coming from the mountains and bluegrass and Irish music and all that stuff, you know. Interesting. And you mentioned some of the artists you were listening to, including Bjork, but um, you had mentioned to me uh, before we went on uh, that Joni Mitchell was a big influence early on, so we were talking about that and impact. still is. <clears throat> still as a listener. And uh, you mentioned lyrically. Uh, I want to play a song of Joni's because I think it's going to be one of those songs that was kind of uh, inspiring for you back in the day when you discovered her. But uh, tell me a little bit about her, or maybe some of your favorite recollections of her music. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I love Joni Mitchell, and I, I've listened to her entire discography. Actually, I had a friend that her father was a college professor, and he had her whole discography. And one day I came to hang out with her at her house, and he had burned me copies of every Joni Mitchell you album. You mean he, he bought you copies? <laughs> Yes, it was a gift. It was a gift. It was a gift. Yeah, it was a gift. Yeah. And so I got to listen to all her uh, through 80s, through the 90s. You know, a lot of people focus on her 60s and Mm -hmm. 70s. A lot of people focus on blue because blue is just like this shining, like holy grail of just singer songwriter magic. 
for everybody, including myself. But I love, I like, uh, you know, I, I loved to get experience listening from a song to a seagull all the way through her 80s mm-hmm. stuff and the way she played with jazz and the way she played with drum loops and rhythms and her collaboration with Charles Mingus and just everything. I love I loved everything and just her her, her play with words, but like really intelligent, thoughtful play with mm-hmm. words and her, like she is like a poet, and that really influenced me and just to hear what you can do with words right. that words can be just as as colorful as the sound cool. and tell a story and well, let's spin yeah. a, t- a track of hers. So we yes. can, can give you a second to catch your breath and grab a drink. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, actually, the song I picked to play for you is off of Blue, but it's uh, the first cut called All I Want, which lyrically is now probably the maybe not as engaging as a lot of her lyrics, but it was her, her take on, actually, let's write a simple kind of a love song in a sense, and, and still makes it extremely interesting with the way that she plays with the lyric, I think. Yeah. So check out All I Want from Joni Mitchell. It's the unraveling and it undoes 
sweater Wanna write you a love letter Wanna make you feel better Wanna make you feel And that was All I Want from Joni Mitchell here on the Auto D Show, where I am your host, Otto Daniolo, and my guest this evening is singer-songwriter Adam Smith. So, Adam, that's uh, a great record and a great artist. Um, glad to... Song. I'm sorry? Good traveling song. Very much yeah. so. And speaking of traveling, yeah. um, you are now in Phoenix. You came here via Nashville, but you were from uh, you know another part of Kentucky in the beginning, Knoxville, Tennessee as well, for a while, I believe. Yeah, right, up, right there, close to the border. So get me, get me from where you were born, get me back from uh, Kentucky to Nashville. Cover that for me. Yeah, well, you asked me a little bit about uh, if there are other musicians in my family, and I'm actually, I'm glad that there weren't because, the, you know, later in life there became a disconnect with me and my family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think music for me had to be a sanctuary and mm-hmm. it had to always be a thing that I did on my own. Where, where I felt safe to be who I was and and everything like that and um, you know uh, I'm, n- I'm not in communication with my parents anymore have not been for about eight years mm-hmm. and uh, just the the, pa- the past that we were on you know we, we grew apart and uh, you know I, I grew up in a broken home you know my parents were divorced and and all that stuff and so it you know it was a lot for me to go through and I didn't really I didn't really uh get a real sense of stability so um you know I remember falling out with my father and then going to live with my mother and then falling out with my mother and so uh, I was working, and I had a car, and before I made the move to Nashville, I was actually living in my car for a little while in Kentucky and working, and I was... Uh, so how old were you when you were living in your car, working in Kentucky This was, I was probably about 23, okay. probably about 23, 24, and, you know, I had been, I'd left home several times and came back, you know, and That's not, was you know, from, from kind of... 17, 18 to 22, 23 for, for musicians, yeah. I think, in, in general... <clears throat> can be a really, really difficult time. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, I, li- I moved nine times yeah. the year that I was 22. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, had a, I had a duffel bag and a bass guitar. That's a lot. You know, and so it's, yeah. in the, and it's, just, it's, you're, it's a difficult path anyway. Yeah. You know, I didn't come from a broken home and right. didn't have a lot of the problems that, you know, or, or should I say trials that a lot of other people have. But come yeah. on with your story. Yeah, so I just remember... Just the, this, the, you know, this experience with my mother where we were just really butting heads and, uh, you know, n- not getting along. And one day she she pushed me over the edge and I just began to pack up my clothes and 
she knew what I was doing and she, you know, she begged me to stay and I just, I was done. And so I, I lived in my car for a little while. And so I, the place I was working at, at a gas station and I was watering the plants and wash, dusting the shelves and cleaning the bathrooms and, you know, and it was a place called the commissary where the coal miners would come mm-hmm. and, you know, and I worked third shift and it was just me and this girl, my, my girlfriend, Bridget, just me and her there all night. And I remember I would hide from the surveillance cameras and write songs on like hot dog wrappers where I knew the cameras couldn't see me like goofing off. And I had my MP3 player and I'd be listening to all kinds of cool stuff I've found, you know, uh, online and stuff. And uh, I thought, you know, this is crazy. I could be doing this in Nashville. You know, I could have a crap job and at least I'd be in Nashville and I'd be, you know, I'm living in my car. And so I, I'm like, I, I could live in my car yeah, anywhere. I could live in my car and at least be singing somewhere yeah. off, on the side. And so I thought, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to put my two weeks notice in. And uh, so I, at least I was good. I put my two weeks notice in and I, I was really loved. I think it's so, awesome that, that yeah. a young man at 22 <laughs> can just I have a car that gives me a place to live. Yeah. You know, I, I can just. Go anywhere I want. Yeah. I love that, you know, that yeah. wandering spirit that also is the, the musician in a sense. Yeah, and that's how it was for me. It was a great big adventure. I don't remember having a lot of anxiety, and I mm-hmm. don't remember having, I don't remember being pensive or nervous about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did tell a couple of friends, and there was a couple of things that I needed to kind of give away just to unburden myself. and. Um, but I didn't tell many people, but I told a couple people just so somebody knew where I, where I went, you know, and I think I had about $300 to my name mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. my last paycheck that I made. And I left Kentucky about 11 o'clock at night and I got to Nashville as the sun was coming up. Mm-hmm. And I remember parking downtown and I don't remember much about just the drive there, but I remember getting there and it was just this, it was almost like a scene in a movie, like the sun was coming up and I was like, here I am. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm going to do, but here I am and there's no turning back. And so there I was. And it wasn't until just a couple of weeks later where Mm -hmm. I met Jim Mm -hmm. and he heard my music and started a whole my life in in a whole different direction but there was a time you know where I was just and I arrived there when the CMA music festival was going on so it was very intense for me because I went from being around nobody working third shift (laughs) and just seeing coal miners in the morning sometimes and you know to being among thousands of people and then I thought this is just the way Nashville is all the time this is the big city you know and but it was great for me because I was there with my my guitar case and so there was a lot more people to give me tips and the Scientologist came and and uh, in, invited me to this open mic, and I didn't know that it was an open mic, that it was a Scientologist, and it was just this, that whole experience happened, and, and so that was weird. But that doesn't have anything to do with anything. I don't know why I no, brought that no, up. No, it totally does to anybody who's been in your shoes. It totally does. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, so I wasn't in that situation for very long. And I just had this incredible sense that I was following my heart. And I was taking mm-hmm. this leap of faith. And to this day, I always go back to that, ex- that experience where I was like, you know, at the time, or now looking back on it, I'm, I'm just like that was very irrational it was very unsafe and uh, you know 
what was I thinking? But at the time, I was just like, I'm not answering to anybody. Right, right. I have no bills to pay. I can just sing and do what I want to. I'm fine with sleeping in my car, you know. And it was it was an adventure to me. And I think the, the universe just began to open doors for me because I took that leap of faith. And mm-hmm. it started my life in this whole other direction, which I never could have anticipated. Right which was amazing. And that whole other direction included uh, being essentially discovered by a gentleman who was interested in your talent and investing in your future. And um, so is that when you first came to Phoenix? That was when I first came to Sedona, actually. I pretty much bypassed Phoenix and went right to Sedona. But uh, my now husband and manager was living in Phoenix and Mm -hmm. had a a strong presence in Sedona and, and some relationships with the musical community there Mm -hmm. so it was actually Chris Fieris the uh, new age world singer songwriter who heard my music and said famous Arizonan yes Chris was a big name in town when I came to town in 1989 yeah he's amazing yeah we love him and we always try to go out to see him when he's in I think he's living in Greece now or something I think he moved out of the country. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's the one that basically uh, he was in the studio when Jim was playing. He was actually playing my music for somebody else, but he was just there working on something, and he heard my music and began to cry. And he said, who is this? He's like, you got to bring him here. Mm-hmm. And so that started this whole pre- procession, you know, this this whole, migra- like, migration for mm-hmm. me to, like, and I, th- I thought I was, I thought I had went to Mars because... You know, the desert was just right. such it's a so different, different, radically different terrain. Yeah, completely. And yeah, I, f- I strangely feel right at home here in a now, way. Th- that record you did with Chris, mm-hmm. excuse me, that was in uh, 20, was that 2010, that mm-hmm. first record? And uh, was that the one that was, uh, or let me just go back here, was that the one, Another Way to Get to Heaven? Was that that? Another release? Way to Get to Heaven, yes. Now, you have written, on, again, another thing on your bio page, which I'm so happy to read. Not many people can have can say this. That you have a comment from Brad Paisley, talking about you being the real deal. How did that come about? How did how did Brad hear your stuff, and where did that comment come from? Well, uh, Brad had been for a while uh, a fan of the Sedona Film Festival, and okay. the, and we were involved with the Sedona. We're not anymore, but we were involved with the Sedona Film Festival, and somehow Jim and Brad connected. My husband Jim my husband and manager Jim and and had kind of become friends uh him and Kim and Brad and I ended up somehow there was like a brunch it was the film festival and there was this brunch and people like just sitting at the table and having orange juice and um I, I was asked to play a couple of songs and cool. so I just stood there and played a couple of songs and he he'd been aware of me and heard my music and and uh, he was nice enough to give me a little comment. You That's know? awesome. I think he's so, a great writer. He, yeah, he's unique he's perspective really good. is what I like about any creator. You know, and I think that he's good at that. And I think he's from the heart. Yeah, you know, I think exactly. he's he's a real from the heart kind of a person. Too. So that was your first record. Um, I want to get to some of your music too. We have yeah. about another twenty minutes left in the in the hour still, so I want to make sure we get to some of that. But yeah. uh, that was your first uh, release, official release. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then around the bend was your second record mm-hmm. in January of twenty thirteen. Yeah. Followed almost immediately by a short EP called Cupid. Yes. And so then after that, you still released another record. 
um, called So Simple Now, so simple which is now. your most recent release. And that was yes. in 2015? Mm-hmm. Okay. How many cuts were on that record? About 18. <laughs> wow. So you've done a lot in the, in the years since, a uh, year and a half since well, Cupid. To that I got to tell you, that's like a very, very small sliver like there, there's so much stuff I'm sitting on. I'm right. just, you know, it's you just right, 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 right. You know, I, I'm considering 2017 to be a very rapid fire, rapid release year of. I want to try to get out all this great stuff I've been sitting on for years. And I've been in the laboratory. I kind of, I kind of went through a depression and it didn't tour and didn't really go out in the public much for a couple of years and. Uh, during that time, I, I wrote quite a bit, and I wrote a new record called Paper, Paper Wings, which is hopefully going to be coming out soon. It's undetermined. It's supposed to be in February, but okay. musicians without deadlines, it's without it's structure, creative free spirit, that's it's what I'm dealing with right now. Well, and I'd like to play a cut called Owl Dreams from Paper Wings. Yes. That has not been released, correct? Correct. So this is like the first time the world gets to hear it. Yes. Well, world now, premiere. Yes. It's a it's world, the world premiere of Owl Dreams, and it's going to be available for a free download, and we're going to start to let the world know about that. And soon. when's that download going to be available? Well, it's officially available now, but cool. we're going to start giving people the link, and we have little cards and stuff. Awesome. About it too. Do you want to tell me a little bit about this song before we play it? Yeah, this was literally a dream song. From, from the dream world, I've had a, a mystical connection with owls, and um, I, I, re- I just resonate with them on, on a spiritual level, and I, th- I think they're beautiful beings. And I had this dream where I looked uh, up out of a window into this tree, and there were like th- th- four or five different owls and they were looking at me and I just felt like they had a message for me and it was a really it was a real kind of magical dream and very surreal and I woke straight up out of the dream and I sat on the couch and I wrote this song and then uh, months later I traveled to Washington to Seattle to this and we we were having breakfast in this restaurant and I looked up and there was a painting of the the very same image that I had seen in my dreams Mm. And so this is a song from the dream world, and whatever connection you might have with owls, I know a lot of people connect with them, but so this is, this is kind of my song about that. Okay, from Adam Smith, this is Owl Dreams to be released on the Paper Wings CD Correct. shortly. Yes.
And I am here with my guest Adam Smith, whose song you just listened to called Owl Dreams on an upcoming release called Paper, whoops, Paper Wings, that's correct. I was going to say it, I thought, wait, it's not on my screen anymore. <laughs> I don't want to screw it up. But a uh, great little song, I like that a lot. Thank Adam, you. thanks uh, for sharing that with us and bringing it. And then I, I wanted to ask you one other thing on your, um, on your bio. You mentioned uh, your bio states that you are lucky to be alive, and I know you've been doing a bit of charity work. You want to tell me a little bit about how those tie together? Yeah, well, I was very different from, as I said, my family and the people I grew up with in, you know, growing up gay and just being different in general, Mm -hmm. androgynous, uh, quirky and weird in a small town. It was very difficult for me. I was very at odds with myself because of the religious background that I had and everything like that so that that part of my journey was very difficult and I you know I understand why there's teenage suicide because there's so much pressure pressure to to be something that you're not especially when it you know and not not in all churches not not all not uh, certainly not all churches are that way but the the you know, I went through the whole thing trying to get the gay prayed out of me and that I had right. a, a demon in me and right. being very afraid of living and being afraid of dying and going to hell. And so that was, the, you know, that was a struggle. And music really brought me through that and uh, was really what helped me have a sense of identity of mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. Out, outside of all that. And so later on, fast forward to my journey in Arizona, Jim was working closely with an organization called Teen Lifeline, which is a peer-to-peer counseling hotline for troubled teens. And they obviously deal with uh, suicide, but they cover lots of different topics. and. Mm Um, anyone who's just in need for someone to hear them and what's great about it being peer-to-peer is often when you're a young kid 
you don't so much relate to a, an adult or feel like you can tr- a lot of you know there's a lot of betrayal and mm-hmm. mistrust and and stuff that goes on so teens feel more comfortable talking to other teens and so I got to go spend a day with them in the and just kind of be in and amongst them and and, and watch what they do and get to know them as people and as a family and mm-hmm. it was just really touching you know to see these young kids and um our, our friends Michelle and Nikki who could do any be doing anything that they want to with their time, but they they're choosing to donate it to this really noble cause, which is to be there for people mm-hmm. who are in need of of someone to talk to and and counseling. And they're trained, mm-hmm. you know, they're really trained to take on these issues and and these, and they 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 just do really wonderful work. So I was inspired. I wrote a song about what they do for them, called "A Friend Is a Stranger," and. It's about that whole thing because, mm-hmm. you know, you call up and you're talking to a stranger, but it's a friend at mm-hmm. the same time because it's, you know, that kind of relationship. So I wrote this song and came into your studio back to Chaton Studios mm-hmm. back in the day and cut it and uh, cut a couple other songs and put on there. And all the proceeds of that song, which you can get on iTunes, go to benefit Team Lifeline. And, and that is a pretty um, dramatic problem in a lot of a lot of ways you know you're not just teens who have an issue with their family but even teens from great homes come go through that age where the last person they're going to talk to about something is their parents it's a rebelling and and understanding yourself and and then you combine that with anything that can that can cause depression and you've got a serious serious problem because when people are depressed they don't reach reach out it's the opposite they reach in they just shut up and close off and you don't see them go away in our busy social world you don't so much see people disappear today because uh, yeah. you're so busy. Yeah. So it's easy for people with depression to hide away and be depressed mm-hmm. and no one re- reaches in. They really have to reach out um, these days, it seems. So it's great to, to have something like the Teen Lifeline for teens who need it. But even uh, adults, I mean, we've, we've all lost people to suicide yeah. at, all, at all ages. And it's, it's a sad, yeah. sad decision to make. Uh, yeah. It disturbs me so yeah. much. And I, but I understand. I understand, yeah. you know, yeah. why people do. And what I've learned now is why it's so important to have a, a strong foundation of self right. and a, a routine, a regime, a ritual of self-love. Mm-hmm. You know, because really, that's that's what's at the root of all of the, the, the you know this greed and all the stuff you see unfolding in politics and all these uh, mm-hmm. separation is it's a lot of a lack of self self-love and self-appreciation and and Teen Lifeline help bring that into balance and people people like that uh, you know are, are really help helping cultivate it could be because what was a difficult what was a struggle for me is at the end of the day going home and not being okay with myself right because you know you can go to church and go to school and you can be all these things but if you can't go home at the end of the day and be comfortable in your own skin right then where do you have to go you mm-hmm. know and that's when teen lifeline and, and things like that come mm-hmm. come in and and or just if even if you don't have that, just having a just a friend, just even mm-hmm. one person or, or a couple of people in your life who see you and and accept you. And you important. mentioned that all the proceeds from that particular song are donated to Teen Lifeline. Yes. What was the name of that track? One more time. It's called A Friend is a Stranger. 
and that's available on iTunes. Available on iTunes, yes. Okay, now you're, we talked earlier, too, you're going to be heading out on a tour pretty soon. Yes. Tell me a little bit about what that is. Is it going to be for a month, a couple months, or what's going on? Well, we're, um, me and Melody Guy, she's an amazing singer-songwriter from Nashville, and we actually got booked at, in the Land of Oz together, and we performed a, a city, uh, in, uh, uh concert at the emerald city and we can tell you all more about that later <laughs> okay. but it was it was fun it was a really good time and it was magical and we're going out on the road together and uh we do our own songs we perform solo and then we jump in with each other on harmonies and, and playing guitar and songs mm-hmm. and so we are uh we're starting out in california we're, we're going to the the nam show uh we're going to be at the poor house in paso robles California. We'll be in Ventura, California at Grapes and Hops. Uh, we'll be in Redding, California at Armando's Gallery House. And then we're coming back to do the Phoenix Vegan Food Festival in February. And uh, j- this month, we're going to be at the Listening Room Phoenix, which will be Perfect. my first time stepping on stage in my oh, cool. very own venue, which is a big deal. And that'll be kind of our launch for all of our Phoenix friends and supporters to come and, and see us off and, and hopefully have a good, you know, have a nice full house. And, Very cool. Uh, a beautiful, it'll be a beautiful night. Awesome. So. And then um, <clears throat> as far as the tour goes, do you have a lot of merch? Do you still sell all of your records when you're out? Yeah. Um, we both have CDs for sale, and um, I have I do art and visual art and stuff, so I'll have some cards, and I'll have my art journals with me and, and stuff like that. But, yeah, we have CDs for sale, and, you know, that's how we support ourselves is, mm-hmm. is you know, we, we sell our, our music and sing for people, and that's, that's pretty much all we do. So. Cool. Well, so far you've done a lot in your life. You know, you've lived in your own little car. You, mm-hmm. you had the guts and, and the strength to make the decision to move to Nashville with 300 bucks, you know, mm-hmm. and... And then you were on the street there, and uh, your career moved farther forward. You got to do some great recording with some great people. You've got a number of records out. You've got a record coming out, a little tour about to start. Um, What would be one of your dream gigs to do one day? What would be one of your favorite venues? Oh, I feel like anything I have to say is like really stereotypical, like really typical. Like I'd love to play Madison Square Garden. That would be amazing. I'd love to play the Ryman Auditorium uh-huh. in yeah. Nashville, which used to be the Grand Ole Opry, which yep. just has so much, so many ghosts and energy and, and history. And um, But I mean, m- my favorite things are like the festivals. Like I love anytime I get to get outdoors, play in nature you know, mm-hmm. for, for for big groups of people, I really enjoy the festivals. You mm-hmm. know, I'm playing some festivals around Arizona and and stuff like that. And yeah, anytime I get to connect with nature and and sing uh, around flowers, you know, that's how I started. Was singing for the flowers and the snails and the ladybugs and the <laughs> trees. You know, so I I feel I feel best most at home when I can do that. Cool. So. Well, how can people get a hold of you if they want to follow you? What's the best way to track you down? Uh, my Facebook, uh, you can, you can find me, uh, facebook.com slash Adam Smith music art. I know that's a lot, but just Adam Smith music art. I'm also a painter too. And Adam Smith music art.com is my official website. And through those things, I share my YouTube and my Instagram and it all gets filtered into that. So, uh, those two things, Adam Smith music art.com. 
Great. Yes. Well, thanks for coming in, Adam. Thank I you, appreciate Otto. you taking the time. Yes. Well, you've been a longtime friend, and and uh, we've enjoyed working together ever since I started and, being here in and Arizona. And now that the show's over, yes. you and I will continue to catch up. Yes. <laughs> thanks for listening. Over everybody. coffee. <laughs> yeah. Take care. <laughs>